It is wonderful to be here this morning. I had a conversation with a good friend this last week, and we were discussing of uh, many things in the course of conversation. One thing that came up that was just a kind of a fun conversation was uh, good novels. Um, particularly Tom Clancy novels came up for the two of us as we were discussing some of the old Tom Clancy novels, some of the originals, uh, Hunt for Red October or The Cardinal of the Kremlin. Um, some that I really enjoyed uh, when I kind of have kicked back with a novel in the past. But one of the things that I enjoy that he does in his novels, and he's not unique in this, is that uh, he takes three different stories, and two of them seem to relate, and a third one doesn't. And they weave together throughout the course of a novel, and then they somehow run into each other at the end, and it all makes some sense why those would be related. And there's a sense in which we have that same kind of thing going on in our text today. I'm going to ask you to find uh, Genesis 24. That's what we're going to be working with today. Uh, in a physical Bible, on a tablet, phone, doesn't matter to me, but I would encourage you to find it. And we're going to see three lives weave together in these 67 verses. I'm not going to read all 67 right now. You can do the rest of that this afternoon. But we see Abraham, we see his senior servant, and then we see Rebecca. And two of them seem very closely related, and the third one seems like it, it gets drawn into the story. And as we've been looking at Genesis... Uh, we've been talking about these are stories that define, when I say stories, I do not mean fairy tales. I mean the real deal. I mean truth. And this is a historical moment that actually occurred. Um, and what you see and what we have seen throughout Genesis is that God is providing something to the world that only he can do. God is providing reconciliation of the world to himself. And you see that in the story this week, although it's it's, it's hidden a little bit there because they couldn't possibly know all that God is doing in this. But through his covenant with Abraham, God is moving humans from enemies to friends. He's moving us from enemies to friends for all that will take and join in to that promise of reconciliation and making things right in the world, especially with humans. And as we've seen throughout Genesis, God is a God of order. God is a God that turns out of peace. That concept of peace is shalom that gets uh, spoken throughout Scripture. It's a sense of wholeness. It's a sense of full human flourishing. It's a sense of being right with God because everything's right in the world and as God intended it to be. That's shalom. God is a God of order. God is a God of peace is what that means. And that's what that reconciliation is. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 4 that God is a God not of disorder, but of peace. And that's what peace is. It's order. Putting things right in the way they're supposed to be. See, and God creates order out of chaos. And what is one of the things that we as humans are really super good at doing with that order? Making chaos. Turning it upside down on its head and taking that shalom that God had in mind and breaking it. Or we're a part participants in the brokenness of this world. Both of those things are true. But what we should see throughout the story so far and as we get deeper into what we have today is that God is a God of blessing. And God's blessings are abundant and offered with regularity. God is constantly offering us and has been constantly giving us good things, many good things. But 
The best blessing that God gives is the promise of making things right, of peace, shalom, wholeness, and being right with God again, reconciliation. That's what we're on about today, and we'll start with Abraham, chapter 24 of Genesis, verse 1. We see something remarkable that is stated right away in the text. It says, Abraham was now very old. That's not the remarkable thing. It says, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. Can you imagine being able to state that? God God has blessed me in every way. And in many ways, we are blessed way more than we realize. But what does it mean that God had blessed Abraham in every way? Well, I want to read a little bit of Genesis 12, which is the covenant originally God set up with Abraham, because I think there's something important we can catch here. It says, back in Genesis 12, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And here's the covenant. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And, and, of, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they left and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Now, it's not just the covenant that we need to pay attention to there, which is, of course, pivotal to everything that we see from this point on in the pages of Scripture and in the story as it unfolds and what God will do. But when we talk about the issue of blessing, when God calls Abraham, he doesn't say, I'm going to call you and I'm going to give you a whole bunch of stuff, and that's going to be the blessing. Because if you noticed in the text, he's got stuff. He's got lots of stuff, and he carries it all with him. He's got what we might call general blessing. We got lots of that in our garages and in our houses, right? In God, though, Abraham had a promise of a greater blessing than that. In simple terms, of course, he saw that he had the blessing of lineage and legacy that was before him. He was excited about that. But what God was really going to do was make the world right through his family line, through that covenant that he, would make, that he was making with him. In the short term, God would produce the one thing, though, that Abraham and Sarah couldn't, which is a child. And so Abraham at least realized a number of these things that were greater blessings than all the stuff that he had. And I think we get that. I think we get that some blessings are better than other blessings. That doesn't mean that some blessings are bad and others are good. It means that some are better. There's, there's a, a sort of evaluation of those. Uh, I was thinking back as I thought about this this week when uh, our family was living in Colorado Springs a number of years ago and we were there when the Waldo Canyon fire came up and over the mountain and came into Colorado Springs and they evacuated the western side of the city. We lived on the eastern side. We weren't evacuated, but we could see it, we could smell it, we could feel it. We were in it. And I remember gassing up the car as everybody else on the eastern side of the city did that night that we weren't sure we would need to evacuate. And then you start taking stock of what's important all of a sudden. Okay, if we get the call to go, we've got to put everything in a couple boxes that can go in the van very quickly. And we've got to grab the kids and put those in the van, grab the cat. Some of you might debate that, I suppose. But what we're not going to do in that moment is grab something from the wall that we purchased at Hobby Lobby that's got a stock photo in it, right? But we might grab the photo albums and throw them in the box. 
Now, the stuff on the wall actually would be considered in the category of blessing. It's a good thing. It's fine. But the photo albums are more important, right? It's not a bad thing on the wall. We understand the valuation of blessings. Abraham had many blessings, but he understood a better blessing when it came along, when God gave that opportunity to him and God offered. And Abraham said yes. He said yes to God's offer, which ended up giving him new meaning, new purpose, gave him a new name. And ultimately, whether he could realize it or not, it was a pivotal part of fulfilling God's plan to reconcile the world to himself, especially humans. It was a big deal that he said yes to this. But he understood that there was something greater going on, and he said yes to God's offer. Second person we run into in the text, starting at verse 2, is the servant. Let's read that, verses 2 through 4. Abraham said, he said to his senior servant in the house, Uh, in in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, so he's got lots of stuff. Put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son, Isaac. Now the servant gets an offer to be drawn in even more onto this covenant promise in this adventure that God has set Abraham on. And so the servant, when he gets the offer, he recognizes something important. He says yes. And the servant ends up being true to his task. If we keep going on, go to verse 10 and following. It says, Then the servant left, taking with him ten of his master's camels, loaded with all kinds of good things from his master. He set out for Aram Naharim, Naharim and made his way to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time when women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, Lord, God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, drink, And I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Before he had finished praying, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. And so the saga continues. Now, question. Have you ever prayed for a sign? kind of think if you think about it probably all of us have at one point in time prayed God if you would just reveal this then I'd know what's going to happen have you ever prayed for a sign what was it like if you think it through that's what he's doing the servant is praying for a sign decisively if you want to get technical it's an oracle but that's all right he's praying for a sign I find it interesting though that this is a pretty culturally relevant concept to people I just saw it in a tv show we were watching last night uh he wanted a sign he didn't pray for a sign they were looking for a sign you'll see this all the time if you watch tv and movies looking for a sign or the universe gave me a sign is my favorite one as if the universe could put together a logical cogent sign that's an impersonal universe doesn't matter we won't get into it right now but clearly God can clearly God can give a sign God is able and there is one given in this moment and the confirmation signs are significant let's look at a couple details i think you'll find this fun the women come to the well at the cool of the day that's pretty normal Uh, there's safety in numbers and they come out when it's cooler this all makes sense hospitality is given to a stranger in the form of a drink of water 
that's not unusual either. Even today in the Middle East, hospitality is paramount, and to not show hospitality is shameful. So those things are normal. But to extend the hospitality to the camels is another story, right? Did you catch how many camels there were? Ten camels. Question, and if you're online, you can go ahead and put this in the comments, what you think this is. How much water can the average camel drink in one trip to the water trough? I mean, think about it. How much, can, how much water? They don't store it in their humps. I was reminded of that this week. The average, let's start with the, the, the average male, in this case, since we've got a servant that gets a drink. The average male is supposed to have about a gallon of water a day. He's in a desert environment. If he's a little bit thirsty, probably needs a little more than that. So we've got uh, a basic you know, idea of what we need as humans. The average camel can drink about 25 gallons of water in 13 minutes. I'm talking one hump, not two at this point, if that matters to you. 25 gallons of water in 13 minutes, which is probably a trip to the trough, right? The water trough. Just assume that all the camels are at that point and famished. 25 gallons of water, 10 camels, 250 gallons. The average clay jar of that period of time could hold up to three gallons of water uh, so that you're talking about 83 and a third trips to the well if the camels were completely famished. Now, let's just even assume that this, you know, they need only a quarter of that and other women help. That's still a lot of trips to the well to water the camels. And there's, I think, a little question that Rebecca knew it would take a lot of work to water 10 camels. If you're interested in more of this, by the way, if you haven't checked out the First Covenant podcast, there'll be more about this on there this week behind the text. But what happens at this point is the signs check out. The servant was true to his task. He prays. God answers while he's finishing the prayer. Rebecca shows up. And then he doesn't even take the hospitality. If you keep reading in the text, he doesn't take the hospitality of the brothers who invite him into the tent after that. Uh, when they invite him for a place to stay, he says, no, I can't even take your hospitality until I've told you that I've brought a word from the Lord. So here you have the servant being true to his task. He was invited into what Abraham was invited in. The servant said yes. Abraham said yes. And the servant was intent to see this offer through. He was a blessed man with all that he did, but he knew a better blessing. And now he's offering a better blessing to Rebekah. Now they're starting to talk about what this will look like. And the servant continues to, to talk through, and they, they all as a group kind of start vetting some of the signs. We, we should recognize that, that he comes ready to have this conversation. The ten camels aren't just to carry stuff. They're a show of wealth. When he sees Rebecca and she gives the hospitality, he gives her a couple of gifts that are of, of great value. A nose ring, it says it's a becca, that's roughly a shekel uh, of weight, and then two bracelets that are worth 10 shekels of weight. So roughly the average laborer in the day earned about four shekels a year. So these are not cheap items that she has gotten. When she walks into camp with these and this man, they know something's up. He's made an offer already to have a conversation about something. And then the discussion takes place and he starts filling in the details of why he's there and what he's doing. And the connection that they all have together. And the servant makes an offer. And the brothers who have been talk, making all, doing all the talking and negotiating at this point, they chime in after hearing the story. If you go to verse uh, 50, Laban and Bethuel, the brothers answer after they hear the whole story, this is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here's Rebecca. Take her and go and let her become the wife of your master's son as the Lord had directed. 
they can all see that this makes sense at this point, that an invitation has been made, that God is in this, an offer has been made, and they're all ready to be in on the offer. Now, they end up asking for 10 days uh, so that she can kind of probably say goodbye and they can maybe do a little more vetting and that kind of thing, uh, which is not unreasonable and not abnormal for the time. But instead, the servant says, no, no, this has to happen soon. Presumably, my master is very old. Uh, we want this to happen soon. And so if you go to verses 57 through 60, it says, then they said, let us call the young woman and ask her. Let's get her opinion on what she thinks is the best at this point. So they called Rebecca. They asked her, will you go with this man? I will go. She, she said. So they sent their sister Rebecca on her way, along with the nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the cities of their enemies. Then Rebecca and her attendants got ready, mounted the camels, and went back with the man. So the servant took Rebecca and left. And then she marries Isaac. They all had offers of something better. They all had blessings. They all had all kinds of good things. But they all had offers of something better. The common thread here is all three ended up leaning into God's work. They didn't just accept the basic blessings of this life but they were prepared for the promise of something better. And when it came along, they said yes. If we're thinking back to the beginnings of Genesis, we were saying God is a God of peace. God is a God of order, not disorder, not chaos. God is a God who wants us to actually be in right relationship with him and with his world. That's what he wants. That's reconciliation. And this covenant promise is actually fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who's the only one who can set things to right through his work on the cross. Jesus was and is the fulfillment of this covenant to bring the promise of greater blessing than just our average everyday blessing that God has already given us. You see, we have blessings more than we can imagine already in this life. As we said, Abraham had blessing when he started. We got blessings all over the place. We got junk drawer fulls, uh, full of blessings in our homes but they will all be gone someday. Only one thing remains. As I said, what was happening through this covenant is God is working reconciliation, making the offer that will eventually allow us to move from enemies of God to friends of God. As Paul writes in Colossians 1, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. And let us not forget that every single one of us at one point in time were alienated from God. We're in the category of enemies and maybe even this morning you're listening and you still are, whether you realize it or not. But God has offered to make you something more. God has offered out of the abundant blessings that we have in this world to make you a greater offer, to be put right in relationship with him and with his world, to be transformed to the image of Jesus Christ. You see, all the blessings God has given, there's, there's one that is offered that we must choose. Abraham, the servant, Rebecca, all knew a better offer when it came. God has given us that offer in Jesus Christ question is, can we see through the blessings of this life to the greatest blessing 
that he's given us to that reconciliation and right relationship with him. Before we go to the table, let's pray. Lord, set things right in this place. Set things right in our hearts. Set things right with you. And that can only be done through your son, Jesus Christ, and his work. Help us recognize the greater blessing that you've given. And not just get stuck in all the blessings of this world thinking that's enough when you have so much more in store. God, let us get to the point where we're like Abraham, that you have blessed us to the fullest. That you have given us peace and right relationship with you. And wholeness. Shalom. God, give us that today. And where we lack that, where we miss the mark, reveal that in our hearts, convict us, so that through your son, Jesus, we could repair that and become holy and unblemished in your sight. Amen.